Hello, church, and welcome back. I'm Jeff Sadler, and you are listening to the Adult Bible Study Series here at Southwest. Uh, we are continuing our D6 Everyday Study, and we are in Lesson 13, if you're following along and doing some of the lessons with your kids, uh, for those of you that have kids. Uh, so before we jump in to our lesson today, though, I just want to say, you know, I hope you and your family had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, I hope you were able to make the most of uh, really strange times. Uh, and able to find ways to connect with family and to really pause and just be grateful for all the wonderful things that God has done. Uh, because as much as there's a lot going on around us, it doesn't take long when you pause and you really are intentional about thinking about all the wonderful things that God has done uh, to realize how much we have to be thankful for. Uh, I know uh, one of the things I really love about this time of year is the weather starts to turn. Uh, in our house, uh, since we've been living in here in Tigard for the last few years, our, our house that we bought here has a fireplace, which I love. And it's a real fireplace. It's not one of the, the uh, natural gas inserts, but a wood-burning fireplace, which we had when I was growing up. And I just had fond memories of making a fire and sitting around the fireplace and just the the crackling wood and the flames, the heat, you get a little bit of that whiff of the, the campfire smoke from time to time. And, you know, so one of the things though is firewood I've realized is not cheap now that I'm an adult and I'm the one that has to make purchases. And so one of the things I did this past week was I got this bright idea rather than going out and buying a bunch of pre-split kiln dried wood for our fireplace, because we were starting to get a little bit low. I decided I would go get on Craigslist and find somebody that was just selling rounds, just wood that they had cut up off the tree, had seasoned that still needed to be split. I thought, save a bunch of money, get some exercise, split some wood. So I found a guy uh, not too far away that had some some rounds he was getting rid of, and it was actually quite cheap. I was very, very pleased. I got a full truckload with my little Tacoma pickup, got home and started splitting wood. And I don't have, you know, I'm not like, not like Paul Bunyan or anything. I don't have a very big ax, but I've got a big enough uh, splitting ax. It was, it was going pretty good. I got the, the first round uh, all split up and had Luke out there helping stack the wood as I was splitting it. Uh, and then I got to the second round and I noticed it was a little bit lighter than the first round and that there was one spot that seemed to be maybe like kind of rotting a little bit. Maybe it had been on the ground and moisture and it had been out there a while. So I didn't think too much of it until I started splitting it. And I got maybe a, a third of the way through splitting it and split one of the pieces in half. And as it fell there on the block and I was looking down at it, it started moving, which firewood is not supposed to move after it's been split. Uh, and Marie was out there and she was like, ants, <laughs> carpenter ants, you know? And so there had been this colony of carpenter ants living in this wood, which explained the rotting and the lighter weight. Cause a lot of that material had been removed over the, the couple of years, I guess this had been out there. So, um, we didn't have a lot of raid in the house to spray all the, the ants. And we also didn't know if there was more in there. So we kind of had this bright idea that we got this fire pit in the backyard, uh, let's start a fire in the fire pit and just burn all this wood. And so that way, if there's more ants, you know, the last thing we want is the the queen coming out and colonizing in our, our house and carpenter ants destroying our home. So we decided we were going to burn all this wood and burn it that day. So this was mid afternoon, you know, I don't know, maybe one or two in the afternoon. So we started a fire in our fire pit. And so just started throwing these, you know, blocks of wood in there. Uh, and as I was splitting them, there's a couple more pieces that I split that, you know, a little ant started crawling out. So into the flames, uh, they went, but you know, this is just a cheap fire pit 
that we had picked up at Home Depot. Nothing fancy. It's not something I built that, you know, with nice uh, cinder block or anything like that. Just a cheap little Home Depot fire pit. And by the end of the day, after putting, there was another round or two that we were a little suspicious of. So we threw a few more kind of rotted pieces, rotting pieces in, in there and burned them. By the end of the day, splitting or burning that much wood in this little fire pit, uh, it was a hot fire. The The coals at the bottom, I mean, this thing was blazing. Uh, the kids were, they, they loved it. I mean, we sat for probably a couple hours around this fire pit. Uh, a little science experimentation, seeing what happens when you throw wet leaves into burning coals. Uh, but one of the things that quickly turned fascinating is we noticed as it was burning down towards the end of the evening, you could start to see the the metal grate at the bottom uh, was not apparently made for this much fire. It was made to burn a couple of logs here or there. So this thing is sitting in this intense heat and fire for hours. And when I went out the next day and looked at it, this thing was all warped and mangled from the weight of the wood sitting on it, uh, sitting on it that much intense heat. It just got all bent, mangled and, I don't know if this fire pit's going to really do much in the future because it's not going to have any good airflow under the wood when we put it in there because uh, this grate is just destroyed from this fire. Now, you might be wondering what this has to do with our lesson today, which the title is, When Life Really Hurts, Why Does God Allow Suffering? But one of the things I realized is that metal grate went through this intense heat, flame, fire, and it came out on the other end, this mangled mess, yet... The axe that I was using all day splitting this wood went through probably a hotter fire and more intense conditions, yet it came out on the other end as this hardened tool with a purpose. It came out as an axe head. And the big difference between these two, they both passed through the flame, yet the axe went through in the hands of a master craftsman, whereas the grate went through the flame and the fire on its own and bore the weight and the extreme conditions, and it did not come out very well. And I think that's an important lesson for us when we think of suffering, because we all in life are going to go through trials. We are all going to go through periods of intense grief and agony, whether it's the loss of a loved one, loss of a relationship, or whether it's physical pain as we get older. Uh, so many things in life that can just cause tremendous physical and emotional suffering. The difference, though, is some of us will go through those trials in the hands of a true craftsman, in the hands of our creator, and we will come out of those trials and those sufferings better for it. Yet others will go through similar trials, but they'll go through on their own by themselves, and they will not fare so well. They'll be like that metal grate that comes out mangled and warped. And so the goal with this lesson, and I, I know this is probably not the most cheerful, uplifting lesson to talk about, right, as we kick off the holiday season. But it really is important, especially when you look at the world around us, when you look at uh, the pandemic, the way it's affecting people, the way it's affecting our lives, our daily lives. And our Thanksgiving gatherings this year were very, very different because of the pandemic. And there are, you know, I feel fortunate that I have uh, five kids and I live at home you know, my wife and I, that we were able to all get together. Uh, don't tell anyone we had seven people at Thanksgiving dinner, even though we're only supposed to have six. So, shh. Um, but you know, with our five kids and, and everything, I mean, I'm fortunate that I have that, but I know there are many, probably some of you listening who uh, aren't so fortunate where you weren't able to see family or 
maybe had to settle for a, a quick, you know, Zoom or FaceTime call. And it can be challenging. It can be difficult. So I think this lesson with everything going on is actually quite timely. The one thing I will say, though, just a little disclaimer if you've got the material, the subtitle for this lesson is why does God allow suffering? And I, and I don't like that for the content. I think that's a little misleading because that's really a deep theological discussion uh, that I am not equipped to carry on in a short 20 minute podcast. Uh, and I think it's going to set us down some rabbit holes if we even try, but I think a better subheading for this lesson would be more appropriately titled, how should we as Christians respond to tragedy and suffering? Because I think we can pull some very, very important truths and some very, very important lessons out of that so that we can come out of the other ends of, of suffering and trials and help those around us to come through better for it. So there's a few key truths I think we can take from this lesson. And the first one is that we need to make sure that we place the blame where it really belongs. So we know from reading the Bible that when God created the earth, Back in Genesis 1, and particularly in verse 31, uh, chapter 1, verse 31, on the sixth day after creating mankind and everything else prior to that, he looked, he says that God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. On previous days, he just said it was good. But after creating man, he looked and he said that it was very good. So we believe as Christians that the Bible teaches that when God created the world at the beginning, that the world was good. It was perfect. There was no sin and death in the world. It was only later, a couple chapters, when the devil shows up, he tempts Eve and he uh, tempts Adam, and we choose to sin. Man sins and sin enters the world. The way Paul describes this in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So Paul clearly is tying this idea that Death came into the world because of sin. And so we need to remember that God is not to blame for the pain and the suffering. God did not create all of these side effects, death. This was not part of God's original creation. And so it does us no good to push that onto God. We need to, and part of that's taking responsibility because I think it's a little easier to tolerate sometimes, but there are oftentimes frequently where we can see a direct correlation between our suffering and our sin. Uh, you know, a biblical example is with David and Bathsheba. Uh, David, who had an affair with Bathsheba and then had Bathsheba's husband killed, well, she got pregnant from that relationship uh, with David. And so when God cast judgment on David through the prophet Nathan, uh, part of that judgment was that that child from that relationship was going to die. And David grieved. That was, uh, he, he mourned. He was putting on sackcloth and ashes and doing all the things that were customary of somebody in tremendous grief. Uh, you know, but it's very easy to look at that story and see the connection between David's sin and his, the consequences. And for us, when we are suffering, when we see that direct correlation, when we can recognize that, the reason why we're suffering so much in our relationship with our spouse is because we're the one that was negligent or that cheated or whatever. Sometimes it's easier to come to God with a heart of repentance because we realize that we're to blame, but that's not always the case though. And things aren't always that clear cut. So it's important to know that we need to place the blame where it belongs and to not blame God for our suffering because he created this world good. And, and by sending Christ, we have this hope of a new heaven and a new earth where there is no death and we don't have to suffer the way we do. That's the hope that we have of the resurrection in Christ. 
So one of the other key truths though, is through that process of Christ's coming, he suffered and we need to know that Jesus understands our suffering and that he's there with us uh, as one who's suffered as we have. And I know sometimes that that doesn't seem like it makes as big of a deal. You know, you think about it, if you just lost a loved one, knowing that the person sitting next to you also lost a loved one does not bring your loved one back. Uh, it doesn't solve your problem. It doesn't take the pain away. Uh, but we are created by God to be social, to be connected with one another. We're not supposed to go through life alone. And the way we are created, we operate at our best when we are together, when we can share in one another's sufferings. And nobody can understand that more than Christ. And the way Paul describes this in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, he says, he tells us to have this mind among ourselves, uh, which is ours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what, what Paul tells us here is that God's response to death and suffering in the world was not to keep it at arm's length, but he actually stepped down into it. Christ left the riches of heaven to come into the earth, to walk and suffer and not just suffer. I mean, yes, the cross was tremendous physical pain. There hasn't been probably very many other deaths that could be as painful as the way the cross was devised. But I think arguably even more than that was the the emotional trauma that Christ suffered. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends and he also bore the weight of our sin, which I don't think that's something you and I could even begin to comprehend or understand what that would have been like for Christ to not just leave the riches of heaven, but now to bear the weight and the penalty of death and to be separated from God because of that. So he suffered in ways that we can't imagine yet. He's here uh, to engage with us, to help us, to be there for us. And, and to remind us again that God's response to sin and death and suffering in the world was was not to just turn a blind eye, uh, not to just wipe it out and start over, but to actually step into it and to be part of the solution. In Hebrews 4.15, the writer says, for we do not have a high priest, talking about Christ, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And that's the other hope we have with Christ is knowing that Christ endured, but he came out uh, on the right side of it. He came out without sin on the other end of the temptation, on the other end of the suffering. And so like anything else, if we want to endure the way he did, we look to him as our example and he's there to walk with us. I also like what Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. Peter says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery or uh, fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though some strange thing were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. I just, I like the way Peter writes this because he's, when he says, you know, don't be surprised like it's something strange happening to you. We, we need to understand that especially as Christians, if we choose to follow Christ, if we choose to be a light to the world, we are promised that we are going to suffer with Christ, that the world is going to hate us. And we can be assured that those sufferings will come. And that's another kind, you know, we talked about suffering that's directly caused from our sin. 
well, it's a whole nother story when you're suffering because you're doing right. And it's important that we have this perspective and that we expect that. I guarantee that if you turn your back on the world, if you walk away from your job and come fully commit yourself to serving God and you know, you look at some of the examples in time, people like Mother Teresa, who just gave up a, a totally normal life to go live in a completely foreign country in less than ideal conditions, taking care of the outcasts of society. The world tells you that you are crazy and they will make you think you're crazy and attack everything that you hold dear to you. Uh, and we need to expect that. Uh, but in in doing so, again, we know that we're suffering with Christ and that in as we suffer with him, we also get to look forward to sharing in his glory with him. So keep that in mind that Jesus understands our suffering and we need to build a relationship with him now while we're not in the fire so that we'll be able to turn to him when those trials come. The next key truth, though, that I want to look at is this idea that and this goes back to that example at the beginning, but God shapes us through suffering. Paul says this in Romans 5, 3 through 5. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, it's important for us to understand that it is in our sufferings and our trials that we are refined. Paul tells us suffering produces endurance, which produces character. And that's what gives us hope. And so again, it doesn't mean you enjoy the suffering when they come, but we need to understand that God will use these to make us better, more effective at ministering to others and more effective at glorifying him in our, in this world. Uh, as long as we're here. And most of us know that, right? We know that we grow from our trials. When we're pushed beyond our limits, that's when we realize God's strength is carrying us through. But we only realize that when we're back up against a wall. And I want to pull in this quote that I brought in last week from Warren Wearsby's in his commentary on Job, where he says, in times of severe testing, our first question must not be, how can I get out of this? But what can I get out of this? And that's having that mindset of, I know that whatever God puts me through or whatever God allows me to go through on this earth, he will use it for good. Uh, and he will make me better, refine me, just like that ax head going through the fire. And then the last key truth that we're going to draw from, from this lesson today uh, from the book is this idea that we're, we're here, as, as I mentioned, we're a body where we function best when we're together. And we have a responsibility as Christians to comfort others who are suffering so when we looked at Job last week, you know, if you studied Job before, one of the key themes in the book of Job is this discourse between Job and a few of his friends that come. And it's, they're having this commentary back and forth, trying to discuss and figure out why Job is suffering. Is it his sin? Is it just because of, you know, God doing this, doing that? And the conversations don't go very well. So we often, when we think of Job's friends, we think of these guys that just are saying all the wrong things and God even rebukes them. And in the end, basically, you know, Job like has to offer up sacrifices uh, on behalf of them to God uh, to get them back in God's good graces. But if you go to the beginning of Job in chapter two, verses 11 through 13, we see these friends when they're introduced, they make, uh, it says they make an appointment to get together 
and to come comfort Job. And in verse 12, when they see him from a distance and they didn't recognize him, they raised their voices and wept. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. And then they just sit down on the ground for seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to Job uh, just because they could tell how much he was suffering. I don't know about you, but despite all the troubles and the awkwardness of the conversations that unfold, these are the kinds of friends that I want to be surrounded by. People that are willing when they hear about your distress to drop what they're doing and just come be with you. And I know like Joe's friends, most of us, when we open our mouth, you know, that's when we start tripping over ourselves. Um, But I just appreciate so much this picture of these friends that just dropped everything And seven days and seven nights just sat in silence mourning with Job. And I think that's so important for us too to recognize as brothers and sisters that oftentimes when you hear of tragedy, you know, especially if it's not something that you can necessarily sympathize with, we don't need to have all the right words to say. Oftentimes just going and being present and being there is all you need to do to be a comforter to those that are suffering. So let's bear that in mind. And let's remember that we as as brothers and sisters, as a body, we really have an obligation to comfort others who are suffering and to, to mourn with them. And so, so really, you know, we're kind of simplifying a very, very complex topic, but I do think it's very, very helpful if we just think about, you know, knowing that, uh, the suffering, the the death on the earth, it's, you know, we need to place that blame where it belongs and it belongs, you know, we bear a part of that, our sinful nature. Uh, but we also need to know that Jesus understands our suffering and that when we're going through trials, we have a savior who can sympathize with us, who's been there, who knows what it's like and who wants to help us and wants to be there for us. But we also need to remember that God's going to shape us through these trials. And while it doesn't always help you when you're in the midst of it, it can be good just to be reminded of that. And and oftentimes, I know me personally, when I look back, the times in my life where I suffered the most and went through the most distress, uh, those are the times where I came out on the other end closer to God with a renewed purpose and passion for life. So it doesn't always help in the midst of trials, but uh, we can encourage others with that message and, and reminding others that they're going to get through it and that God will strengthen them if they let God work with them. Um, and let's just be a body and a family that just comforts each other, that's willing to drop what we're doing to just sit and be together uh, to be that source of comfort, just like Job's friends did. Uh, but unlike Job's friend, maybe we can all work on you know keeping our mouths shut when we don't uh, have the right things to say. Uh, and really though, above these, I think these key truths are all important from this lesson, but to me, the most important thing that I get out of this is that when we suffer, God is right there with us. And he promises that, you know, we've been studying Joshua in our Sunday morning services. And how many times have we heard this verse, Joshua 1, 9, where he says, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord, your God is with you wherever you go. If you eliminate the last half of that verse and you just hear God saying, I'm commanding you to be strong and don't be afraid. That's crazy. (laughs) And Jesus says the same thing uh, in Matthew 10 to his disciples when he tells them that they're going to flog you and try to kill you, but don't be afraid. And that's a command. He's saying, don't be afraid. But the reason is, as he says, for the Lord, your God is with you wherever you go. We need to take that message to heart. We need to remember that no matter what God gives, he promises that he will be with us. He will be right there alongside us every step of the way. And when we can't take any more steps, he will pick us up and carry us through. And it's that hope that we have in that relationship with God that's going to get us through.
So again, as I said earlier, I know this isn't the most uplifting uh, holiday conversation to have, but I do hope that you found this to be an encouragement. Uh, I hope you don't need these lessons anytime soon, but uh, I think we all know that if you walk on this earth long enough, you're going to face trials. You're going to have to suffer. Uh, you're going to lose loved ones. Uh, those times will come. And so we need to start cultivating that relationship. And as parents, we need to start cultivating that in our children so that when they suffer, uh, hopefully every one of my kids is going to bury me. I don't want to have to bury any of my kids. And I want to give them the strength that in those days, in those dark times, that they can look to God, maybe not understand why, but can at least rest in his presence and know that he will always be with us. So I hope and pray that you can take that message with you. And, and that you can find some encouragement or encourage someone else through it. So uh, we miss you. God willing, hopefully it won't be too much longer before we're all back together. But today, who knows? Uh, so in the meantime, have a wonderful week. God bless. And we'll see you next time.